This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the union that represents Florida teachers is objecting to a new rule that would force them to whitewash or even ignore the unpleasant truths of American history. This rule is, is kind of implying that teachers in the state of Florida, you know, in, indoctrinate is literally the word they use, uh, students. And that's just simply not true. It is a political term, and this uh, rule is a politically motivated rule. Florida Education Association President Andrew Sparr has more to say on that rule during the Sunrise interview. The governor joins in what's described as an urgent town hall meeting on anti-Semitism. You know, we have to deal with anti-Semitism that I think if you look back 20 years ago, anti-Semitism is worse today than it was, which is really incredible that we would be seeing that. A Florida group that tries to prevent sexual abuse of children is warning parents to keep a better track of what their kids are doing online. She said we'll be back before my mom even knows we're gone. That's right. Your mom will never know. One out of five kids who touch a digital device will receive some sort of sexual come on. And the number of reports of online enticements almost doubled last year during the pandemic. Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe says VA delays are killing veterans. He's trying to rally support for his bill, allowing veterans to ditch the VA and get their health care elsewhere. You could go to a mental health community care provider right there in your community at the moment in time that you're in crisis or that you need it. And uh, I think you would see a big change in the, the rates that we are having in veteran suicide in our country right now. We'll also have your calendar of political events, along with the stories of two Florida men. One gets 30 years in the federal pen for drugs and dogfighting. The other used a sword to settle a fight over the TV. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, June 9th. This is National Donald Duck Day, honoring the animated character who made his debut in 1934 and has appeared in more movies than any other Disney creation, including Mickey. This is International Dark and Stormy Day. It's a tribute to a rather unusual beverage. Back in the 1920s, members of the British Navy stationed in Bermuda brewed ginger beer as a remedy for seasickness. Well, some of the more adventurous sailors began adding a dash of black seal rum to the ginger beer, transforming a stomach remedy into a tasty cocktail. On this date in 1869, a Philadelphia pharmacist by the name of Charles Hires sold his very first batch of root beer. The Hires brand is still with us today. In 1949, George Orwell published his novel 1984, set in the totalitarian state of Oceania. His nightmare vision of the future included totalitarianism, government propaganda, the subversion of reality, the loss of identity and independence, political loyalty above all else, and controlling of information and rewriting of history. Sound familiar? On this date in 1954, the Red Scare era known as McCarthyism began to unravel during televised hearings in the U.S. Senate when attorney Joseph Welch asked Senator Joseph McCarthy, have you no sense of decency, sir? Now, this was back in the day when American politicians understood the concept of shame. And on this date in 1975, 10 inmates and a guard died after an inmate at the Seminole County Jail in Sanford set a mattress on fire. Toxic smoke spread through the jail. There were no sprinklers, smoke detectors, or fire alarms. Rescue attempts were thwarted by misplaced jail keys and the blockage of an emergency evacuation route. 
The Florida Board of Education meets tomorrow to vote on a proposal from the Education Commissioner and the Governor that would place strict guidelines on the way U.S. history is taught in public schools. It would mandate that teachers, and I quote, may not define American history as something other than the creation of a new nation based largely on universal principles stated in the Declaration of Independence. It would also prohibit teachers from sharing their personal views or attempting to, quote, indoctrinate students to a particular point of view that is not consistent with state standards. The Florida Education Association, the group that represents teachers, believes this is a terrible rule, and FEA President Andrew Sparr joins us now to explain why. Welcome to the program, Mr. Sparr, and I guess you've got your work cut out for you tomorrow at the Board of Education. I think we do, um, but you know, the bottom line is this rule is not necessary. Uh, our teachers do amazing work every day. They make sure that our students are thinking critically. They make sure our students base their thought in facts. And uh, this rule is, is kind of implying that teachers in the state of Florida, you know, in, indoctrinate is literally the word they use, uh, students. And that's just simply not true. It is a political term. And this uh, rule is a politically motivated rule. A lot of people have used the term whitewash to describe this rule. Do you go with that? Well, I, I certainly am concerned about the fact that when it talks about um, teaching history in our schools, it says we should do it uh, based strictly on the formation of this country and the values uh, laid out in the Declaration of Independence. However, our country was really formed based on, uh, and our government was formed on a constitution. Uh, and we have to remember that when our country was formed, uh, there was slavery in this country. And, and we have to remember that the, when our country was formed, it had to do with taking lands from, from uh, Native Americans who were already on this land. And so I, I think we have to be clear and honest in our teaching and make sure that we're actually covering facts and recognizing that in our history, our founders said we want to form a more perfect union, recognizing that we make mistakes and would make mistakes going forward, and we should learn from those mistakes in history and celebrate some of the amazing things that we've done in this country. And one thing I really want to say that was uniquely American at the time this country was founded was a system of public education uh, that, that that was uniquely American, uh, that was founded by the American concept, and we should celebrate that. We should celebrate our public schools and the fact that we want to teach our children to think critically and independently. What do you think of the governor's use of the critical race theory as his sort of cudgel for this rule, to say that, you know, that's a radical theory, it's unproven, and it has no business being taught to our kids? So first, I think we should recognize that critical race theory is not taught in the schools in the state of Florida. In fact, it's not even mentioned in the standards or in this rule. Um, so it really, again, goes back to what is the motivation behind this rule change? Uh, the fact remains that we do have to discuss race in America, and we should do it in a way which allows for that factually based critical thinking that we encourage our students to do. We shouldn't limit, and this rule actually says that it's kind of interesting when we talk about this because the rule says uh, there shouldn't be a suppression or a limit on, on discussion, and yet it seems like that's exactly what this rule is aiming to do, limit and a discussion uh, and, and put some rules around how we discuss very important issues that have helped shape our country and should shape our country going forward. 
Now, if you listen to Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran, he seems to think that this is a way to keep the liberals in check, to stop the teachers from turning our, our good conservative kids into, you know, flaming moderates or even worse, liberals. Again, I think that goes to show that this is politically motivated. Uh, you know, we're going to have liberals in America. We're going to have conservatives in America. That's part of our political process. Ironically, as they rewrite uh, the standards uh, for civics education, they leave out a really rich discussion on the political parties in our country and how they were formed. And we should have those conversations. That's how our system of government works. Um, now, keep in mind, George Washington didn't want political parties in our country, but they certainly did form shortly after the founding of this country. Uh, and they've evolved over the years in different ways with different names. And, and so that should be part uh, of the discussion. And we shouldn't be afraid to have those conversations. And I understand the FEA is not just opposing this rule, but it's proposing alternatives. Can you talk about the things that you think the rule should concern? Yeah, again, I, I think the word indoctrination should be taken out. There, there's no place for a political term in rules that govern our public schools or in our standards, for that matter. Uh, number two, we, you know, in this rule, they talk about teaching historical events. They only mention one, a very important one in my mind, which is uh, the Holocaust. But they leave out slavery. They leave out uh, the Civil War. They leave out uh, the uh, Civil Rights Movement, the Jim Crow errors, Reconstruction, and so many other important events in history. Why name a specific uh, event and leave out all of those other events? And so we think uh, they should take out the word indoctrination. They should truly expand and align with the standards that they are adopting shortly. And, and of course, we have standards in place now. And if we do that, uh, then then that's fine. But at the end of the day, this rule isn't even really necessary. And that is really one of our big objections um, to this rule. Do you think it's pretty much uh, a hopeless battle anyway? I mean, these are all appointees who were put there by Ron DeSantis, and they all seem to be pretty willing to do whatever he asked them to do. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, we should. Uh, this is a this is a country based on free thought, and we should express our concerns, and we should push back when we think uh, that the there's some uh, issues at play here. And again, I'm just going to say this clearly seems to be a politically motivated rule, and it shouldn't have a place um, in the uh, limiting of the conversation in our schools. You've been listening to Andrew Spar, president of the Florida Education Association, which represents teachers and support staff at public schools. There's been a surge in anti-Semitic incidents in Florida and across the country recently, and members of the Jewish community are trying to rally their supporters and encourage them to confront racism whenever they encounter it. Randon Carvel is president of the Jewish Federation of Sarasota Manatee, and he hosted a town hall briefing on anti-Semitism. The rise of anti-Semitism around the world and in the United States has been well documented over the last several years, including a recent FBI report indicating that the greatest amount of hate crimes are directed against Jews. There has been an 80% increase in reported anti-Semitic activities in the United States during this past month alone. While there are some who will conflate this with the situation in Israel, recent terrorist attacks by Hamas against Israeli civilians, and Israel's right as a sovereign nation to defend itself against such attacks. The reality is that the conflict is only an excuse for centuries-old anti-Semitism. 
The state attorney from Tampa, Andrew Warren, learned about the problem firsthand when he was just a kid and discovered swastikas painted on his synagogue in Gainesville. The Holocaust didn't happen overnight. The possibility existed because of the cancer of anti-Semitism that has lingered and spread throughout history, exploited by evil men and condoned by the silent masses. So here we are again. This is not just a critical issue in our country at this moment. It is a critical issue at every moment. As it's been said, anti-Semitism is the godfather of racism and the gateway to tyranny, fascism, and war. It is to be regarded not as the enemy of the Jewish people, but as the common enemy of humanity and of civilization. To fight bigotry and prejudice is to fight for the soul of our country. Throughout history, religious and racial minorities have been oppressed, persecuted, enslaved, and murdered. From Egypt to the Inquisition to the Holocaust. But America is supposed to be different. Senator Marco Rubio describes anti-Semitism as an ancient evil that never went away. It's one that has reared its head over and over again throughout human history. It did so in the 1940s and the late 30s to catastrophic, with a catastrophic impact in which the murder of human beings, of over six million human beings, was industrialized. But it reminds us that it's an evil that continues and it takes on different forms and different shapes. Increasingly, it takes on the, the shape of being anti-Israel, anti-Jewish state, and it manifests itself in the foreign policy of countries. So whether it's somebody spray painting hateful messages on the side of a building, or some of the rhetoric we hear domestically or internationally, it's incumbent upon all of us to call it out for what it is and to do all we can so that never again those in power will be those who share these views of anti-Semitism. Governor Ron DeSantis says the situation is getting worse, and he says Florida cannot tolerate anti-Semitism of any sort. You know, we have to deal with anti-Semitism that I think if you look back 20 years ago, anti-Semitism is worse today than it was, which is really incredible that we would be seeing that. And I think the best way uh, to do it from a, a position in elected office is we got to go on offense against anti-Semitism. I think we've done a good job uh, of doing that in conjunction with the Florida legislature. My first year in office, um, you know, we signed the anti-Semitism bill that basically says, you know, anti-Semitism is akin to uh, how we would treat racism. It has no place in our academic institutions, not just K through 12, but also higher education. And we thought that that was very important and send a strong message. We also believe that it's very important that we have very strong Holocaust education in our K through 12 schools throughout the state of Florida. I signed a bill in 2019-2020 year, um, making sure uh, that school districts have Holocaust instruction that is accurate and that is telling the accurate story. We cannot have uh, people try to whitewash the Holocaust in Florida schools. We're just not gonna put taxpayer dollars to that. Very important that that story is told. Uh, Florida, I think, regardless, almost everybody, regardless of party, I think is, is united to say, uh, you know, we have no tolerance uh, for this anti-Semitic uh, behavior. But the president of the American Jewish Conference has a warning for the politicians. David Harris says both of the major parties have problems, and they have no business trying to use anti-Semitism to advance their political interests. No one who's serious about combating anti-Semitism should try and weaponize it or instrumentalize it for partisan political purposes. We've seen anti-Semitism come from the far right. 
We saw its manifestations in Charlottesville, in Pittsburgh, in Poway, and among some on January the 6th. We've also seen anti-Semitism come from the far left, and that is as pernicious as the anti-Semitism of the far right. We must be swivel-headed and call them all out as they deserve to be called out. And we have to tell our political parties as well, there's no room for anti-Semites, not to mention anti-Semitism in either political party, no matter what the guys may be. And as we meet now on both sides of the aisle in the United States Congress, there are people who are anti-Semites. By the way, Harris did not call out any of those members of Congress by name. This is National Internet Safety Month, and child advocates are using PSAs like a two-by-four to remind parents of the danger. State Senator Lauren Book is the founder and CEO of Lauren's Kids, a group that educates adults and children about sexual abuse prevention. And Book says the sad fact is that 20% of the kids who touch a digital device end up being sexually solicited online. Cue the public service announcement with the adorable little girl on the teeter-totter and the old creepy bearded guy. Sometimes I use my mom's iPad. That's where I met my friend Shelly, and she invited me to meet her at the park so we can go see her new puppy. She said we'll be back before my mom even knows we're gone. That's right. Your mom will never know. I just love puppies. When we get to your house, we can feed your puppy and pet him and snuggle him, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I asked my friends Toya and Billy to come, too. Okay, let's go. Remember, I have to be back soon or my mom might get mad. The spot ends with a little girl's glittery shoe disappearing into an unmarked vehicle and a reminder that the Internet is a playground for predators. The COVID crisis made it worse. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children says online enticements almost doubled in 2020 as kids spent more time on their digital devices during the pandemic. A Florida man who serves in Congress is trying to rally support for his bill that would give veterans more options for health care. Congressman Greg Stubbe of Bradenton is the sponsor of H.R. 364, the Veterans True Choice Act. It allows them to bail on the VA health care system and replace it with TRICARE. That's a health care program similar to a PPO that is run by the Department of Defense for service members, retirees, and their families. Yeah, so what the bill would do is allow anybody over that 30% disability who would have eligibility to get services through the VA, it would give them TRICARE Select or TRICARE Prime, TRICARE for Life. So if they want to continue to utilize the VA, they absolutely could do that. But if they have a community healthcare provider they would prefer to go to, or the VA hospital is miles away or three hours away, and they don't wanna have to drive that way, they can get whatever healthcare they need and deserve right there in their own community because they have TRICARE for Life or TRICARE Prime. So it would really give a lot true choice is why we call it the true choice bill. It would give true choice to the veteran. There are a lot of older guys who don't live far from the VA hospital. They, they like going to the VA hospital to talk to uh, fellow veterans and they enjoy the service that they get in the VA. This wouldn't change that for them. They can continue to take advantage of that service. But if you're a young veteran and you're working and you don't have time to wait, uh, you know, two hours to, to get your appointment or to drive two hours to get to the hospital or the clinic, you could go anywhere you needed to go that takes TRICARE and uh, you can get the uh, medical care that you deserve. And I actually think this would have a huge impact on veteran suicides that we're seeing across our country, because instead, instead of having to wait either on a wait list through the VA or have to wait through the VA system to get a mental health provider, you could go to a mental health community care provider right there in your community at the moment in time that you're in crisis or that you need it. 
And uh, I think you would see a big change in the, the rates that we are having in veteran suicide in our country right now. Darren Selnick with Concerned Veterans for America says the VA health care system got a lot worse during the COVID crisis when 20 million appointments had to be canceled. He says veterans need another choice. Every other American, whether you're military, Medicare, even Medicaid, in federal health care programs have full choice, except the veterans in the VA. And the VA has really kind of botched it, especially since COVID-19. So veterans who use the VA system are the only Americans who don't actually have true choice. Why is that important? Um, that's important because you have good and bad in every healthcare system. You have good and bad at DOD. You have good and bad at VA. You have good and bad at private sector. The difference is if you're using the DOD program and you don't like um, Camp Pendleton, then you can go ahead and go to TRICARE Select and you can go ahead and pick a PPO and pick whoever you want. But if you're in the VA and say San Diego's not working for you, then you're stuck. In the VA system, they pick your doctor, they pick your hospital, um, and then you know they have a lot of latitude, even with the Mission Act, even with the right of access standards in terms of distance, to either be very slow or, or to deny it. And VA is taking on average 19 days just to go ahead and process the authorization before they even go to the community to, to try to schedule an appointment for you. And then on the average appointment, because of that, it's then taking close to 42 days. It's starting to look like 2014 all over again, where they don't want veterans to go out to so the, the plane games, they cancel the appointments, they reschedule, they're not following the wait times. There's quality issues, CMS does a quality compare. Look, there's lots of reasons to go to the VA if you're happy with it, but if you're not happy with it, why shouldn't you have the ability to go somewhere else rather than the worst quality? With the True Choice Act, you do. Congressman Stubbe filed the Veterans True Choice Act back in January. It's been referred to the Subcommittee on Health under the Committee on Veterans Affairs. For now, it has zero co-sponsors. He's hoping you will ask your congressman to sign on. Today's calendar of events, the Career Source Florida Board of Directors meets at 8.30 in Ponte Vedra Beach. The Cabinet aides meet at 9 to agree on an agenda for next week's meeting of the Governor, the Attorney General, the Chief Financial Officer, and the Agriculture Commissioner. The Enterprise Florida Board of Directors meets at 9 in Daytona Beach. The Commission on Offender Review meets at 9. The Board of Massage Therapy meets at 9. The Central Florida Regional Planning Council meets at 9.30 in Sebring. And the Board of Pharmacy meets at 1.30 in Lake Buena Vista. A Florida man is sentenced to 30 years in federal prison for drug trafficking and dog fighting. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Florida says 32-year-old Jermaine Hadley of Quincy ran a violent criminal gang in Gadsden County called the 424 that was responsible for the distribution of more than 50 kilos of meth, more than 15 kilos of cocaine, and MDMA. He was also convicted of facilitating a large-scale dog fighting ring in 2018 and 2019. A total of 21 defendants were arrested during this investigation, and more than 100 dogs were rescued. Finally today, a Florida man is accused of stabbing a dude with a sword as they fought over the TV remote control. Officers found the victim outside an apartment in Titusville with stab wounds on his leg and arm. Inside, they found 54-year-old Christopher Glynn sitting on a couch with a sword and a wooden scabbard next to him. Investigators say he confessed and says he would have gutted the guy if only his aim had been better. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Thank you.